and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 3, which is titled Don't Ask, Don't Tell. The episode aired on October 10th, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Well, first off, I just want to start by saying, Happy October, everyone. It's spooky season! Um, Second, let's go into the headlines now. In simpler political times, incumbent president Bill Clinton and his opponent, Bob Dole, have their first televised debate. Ah, simpler times. The world as we know it is ruined forever as the cable channel Fox News launches. I need to stop cold reading these. Jesus. Um, (laughs) Different week, same chart toppers. The first Wives Club stays at number one in the box office for its third and final week. And Macarena by Los Del Rio remains atop the music charts. Hey, Macarena. Hey. Hi. Uh, this week's episode, we've got 30 million viewers tuning in. Uh, the episode is directed by Perry Lang. This is his one and only episode of the show that he would direct. He also directed episodes of NYPD Blue, Gilmore Girls, and Dawson's Creek, among others. Uh, this week's episode is written by Paul Manning, his 12th out of 15 episodes that he would write uh, during his time on the show. And Jason Cahill, this is his first of three episodes that he would write, and he would go on to do uh, some episodes, of, write some episodes of The Sopranos, as well as an upcoming Lord of the Rings series, which I know nothing about, but maybe you do, Lauren. I actually don't, because they've had some back and forth on whether it's going to be closer to the Silmarillion um era or if it's going to be closer to like the second or third age so i'm really not sure what era they're setting it in yet which one are the main movies set in what age is those set in third age okay you can't see but over here i'm nodding as though i know what you're talking about every i'm hanging <laughs> I can, every word listeners if you want an entire podcast on me just <laughs> word vomiting about lord of the rings press one for the love of god don't press one uh <laughs> furiously presses two <laughs> All right, that'll be a bonus episode with just Lizzie and I, but Lizzie gets that every day living with me. And we get our previously on ER this time using Susan's voice. Awesome. Uh, Then we open up the episode proper with uh, Mark running across Michigan Avenue, who's headed south by the Wrigley Building for all you geography nerds out there. Catching up with Susan, and let's listen to their conversation. It is. I'd even go as far to say it's a glorious morning. Didn't your mother teach you not to gloat? Well, good to vacation if you can't gloat. Just thinking, eight days, you'll be back here slogging miserably through life like the rest of us. Yeah, but tomorrow I will be in Maui with the sun on my face, drinking a sea breeze. I hope you burn. <laughs> Thanks for house-sitting. My cat owes you big time. I'll try to remember to feed her. I hope you recognize the hospital when you get back. Your aunt's spot has got a lot of changes in store. Like what? I don't know. I'm philosophically opposed. That's my new motto. Change is not good. Well, we're getting more residents. Maybe we won't have to work as hard. Work twice as hard. What? They're from Southside. Their program is, shall we say, less than discriminating. We're going to spend half our time trying to keep them from killing the patients. Okay, Mark. <laughs> also, I, I noticed a little. I noticed a little continuity error hmm. here. No. Mark says. Mark here says in eight days you'll be back you'll be back here and at the end of the episode susan says susan says to mark i'll see you in 10 days huh good nice catch so yeah there 
There, that's my that's my that's my big big yeah. event. Thanks Sit everyone back, for listening. Relax. We'll see you again next week. That's your that's yep. your beltless motherfucker for the week. Yep. No, it's not. It's not. No, I'm just saying it's a little continuity error. So also, is is it just me or does does it feel like? And we'll touch on this more as this episode goes on. They have jumped so far back into the will they won't they Susan Mark thing that's it's almost jarring. Like yeah, they've led up to it for a couple episodes, but this one they really just like slam on the. Oh well, yeah, I was gonna say yes, I, I feel like this episode is like the epitome of the will they won't they. Yeah, Mark it, and, it Mark just and feels ship. like such a shift. Yeah. I I wonder if, and this could be completely just speculation on my part, but I want I mean because we only got I think five episodes left with Susan. Um, I think or I wonder if this would be around the time where they would have discovered that she had plans on leaving and so you know maybe they they figure like well we need to burn this off now because she's going to be gone in like a few episodes so we need if we're if we're ever going to do it now's the time but that that, like so maybe they felt like maybe they felt like doing it this way so that way it's officially like nope they won't (laughs) right yeah like i think this could be them saying like see look we we did it we 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 tried we thought about it the answer is no the subtext is there for you uh, fanfic writers. Um, so then we get Carter waking up to his lovely neighbor Betty knocking on his door. And she didn't want him to oversleep again. So she brings him some borscht. And she still has her oxygen tank. She's carrying it around along with an unlit cigarette. Carter's like, mm, maybe you don't carry those at the same time. And she's, she goes on to say that her ear has been bugging her and just shoves it in Carter's face. And Carter just patiently responds, ears really aren't my specialty, but there's a family practitioner on the second floor. I'll take you to him. Just like, totally, like, not my problem. Please get out of my house. And uh, buy Carter's apartment. Spoiler alert for later in the oh. episode, but Carter's apartment like, gets bought. I was like, oh, is it gone already? Duh. I watched yeah. this episode. Yeah, I was we wa- there. Well, um, then after that, we have uh, another audio clip for you. Uh, we go into the ER with Mark and Susan walking down the hall when they run into Carrie and introduce them to, uh, I believe, our first, like, our second openly queer character, like, explicitly queer yes. character in the show. Yep. So we're saying we're counting Carrie as the first? Uh, no, 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 Raul. Oh, Raul. No, Ra- ah, uh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Raul is explicitly mentioned as gay, and she be, and Maggie, Doctor Maggie Doyle, is explicitly a lesbian. Not right away, but but we find out exactly. So let's listen to to her introduction. Isn't this exciting? Yeah, like a junior high assembly. Mm, here comes the assistant principal. Susan, I want you to meet Margaret Doyle, one of our new interns from Sussex. Maggie. Pleasure. Hi. What med school she went to. Guys, come on, save your seat. You look like hell. Did you pull an all-nighter? Yeah, price is six, so they called me at midnight. Interrupted a very promising day. Morning, everybody. Thanks for coming. I'm doing the surgical floor in about uh, ten minutes, so I'm going to make this snappy. We're in trouble. With the closing of Southside Hospital, we can expect an increase of at least 30% in our normal patient load here at County. To meet these demands, we're going to be instituting the efficiency standards that made the South Side ER, no offense, best one in the city. <laughs> All residents and attendings will see an average of 2.5 patients per hour. Your patient quotient will be checked on a daily basis. The highest PQ wins a gumdrop. The lowest has to wax my car. What about the dead? I'm sorry? DOAs, train wrecks who croak on the way in. Do we get points for them? Yes, you do, but... Uh, 
Try not to kill all your patients at once, Dr. Green. We wouldn't want to draw suspicion. Now, who handles the scheduling? I do. You make sure that I'm CC'd. Chart review? That's uh, me, too. I want a daily summary. And budget? It's me. Green, aren't you an attending here? I'm patient ombudsman. I run the mentoring program, and I'm in charge of staff morale. Well, let's uh, even out the duties a bit. Green, you take chart review. Get me a report by noon. Can I suggest... People, change is like a freight train. You're either on board or you're gritting the gears. Same time Tuesday. Oh, I think he likes you. I love this scene. It's pretty good. So much. I love I love when Carrie's like, that's me. <laughs> me. Me. Like, just... <laughs> she's so uncomfortable with it because she's fine with how much responsibility she has, but it's just like, oh shit, I do do a lot. Do do and sort sort of an unceremonious first first appearance by Maggie, but yeah, yeah, she well, they do sort of blow past her. It is the as Lizzie teased at the beginning. It's the first appearance of Georgia Fox as Maggie Doyle. This is her first of thirty three appearances that she will make through nineteen ninety nine. Um, and yeah, she's a Maggie is an interesting character. I will say that uh, there's I, and I, and I do feel like Maggie is one of the I don't want to say like underdeveloped or like but i just feel like they're i do feel like she's a character who just as she's really starting to get interesting and really digging into some stuff that we she disappears and um so she's i do think she's kind of one of the ones that i would have liked to have seen more of at the end of the show like when we when we get to the end of the show we're kind of summing everything up i i I would like to have seen more of maggie doyle as a character but um but yeah. I don't remember her much, so I'm excited to see her run again. She's a character I'll be interested to see how my opinion develops on, particularly with 2020 eyes, because yes, she's a queer character, mm. but she also has some other very um, unsavory character traits that we yeah. we will definitely I'll, touch I on. I saw her just... Dis- I saw her described as a gun-toting lesbian yeah. by one wiki, wiki entry. I can't look at her without thinking of um, CSI. Yeah, that, and that's definitely where she's kind of known for. I mean, I think, like I said, she does 33 episodes of ER, and I think when I looked it up, I think she's in somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, 230 episodes of CSI. So Jesus Christ. Yeah. Also, had either of you heard the term ombudsman before this episode? Mm-hmm. No. Of course not, you had, Dan. Not in, I hadn't heard it in the context of a hospital, but I've heard it in, like, journalism. Gotcha. What does it mean, Lauren? Oh, well, I have the Wikipedia right here, let me tell you. Um, an ombudsman, ombudsperson, ombud, or public advocate is an official who is charged with representing the interests of the public by investigating and addressing complaints of maladministration or a violation of rights. Huh. So pretty much what we see Mark doing is patient so, advocacy. He's not oh, just okay. full so of shit. Like, so if people... So if people feel like they've been mistreated, they talk to Mark and yeah. Mark helps them out. Which yeah. is kind of true. He has filled that capacity. But yeah, also, I I appreciate that they kind of show the um, the territorial nature of the hospitals. How Mark opens the episode with like, oh, if we have to like keep an eye on these Southside um, interns and students, we're going to have to make sure our patients don't die. And um, Ansbaugh's like, you know... If we want to be the most efficient hospital like Southside was. Which begs the question, why did they close Southside in the first place? <laughs> like, if it was. Maybe the... some of that efficiency came from patient deaths. Uh, or maybe because of the. I don't know. It's, it's, useless, it's useless speculating because we'll never know. True. I mean, we could guess that because it's Southside 
and nothing fair ever happens to the south side of chicago and the south side of chicago did just recently lose a another trauma center yep in real life yeah anyway they only traumatized me a little bit when i went there for psychiatric care Oh, anyway, um, so then we come in with some bangs, and Lydia is rolling a gentleman in named Dante, who says he was kicked in the head by a kangaroo, and because he looks homeless, he's probably one of the homeless regulars, everybody just assumes he's talking sugar, and Mark is trying to do chart review and stressing that he has not gotten to see any patients yet. Talking sugar? Yeah. I've never heard that term before. (gasps) Really? No. What? Oh my god, I listened to... I think I got it from Bonfireside Chat, because it's like, instead of talking shit about someone, you're talking sugar. I You're such a mom. So, like, talking nicely? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're such a Midwestern mom. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, I am. But, yeah, they think he's he's full of shit. They're like, there's no kangaroo. What are you talking about? This, yeah. is, sh- this is Chicago. Um, and, yeah, Mark really wants to get on to seeing patients, because that new quotient, quote, patient quota... Words are hard. Yeah, it's okay. Lizzie, it's your turn. Yes, it is. Uh, so uh, Maggie comes in and she is frustrated that uh, Mark wants her to be supervised at Southside because you know she's used to operating without supervision because she's uh, we. I think she's an intern, I believe. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, but she's used to not having training. She's wheels. like a second year. Yeah. Either way, she's she she knows her shit. Um, but uh, Mark would like her would like her to tag along with uh, Doug today just to. Just so he can show her the ropes, you know. And you know and you know what I did notice? Mm. Doug doesn't immediately flirt with her. Right. Which is really which is really nice to see. He's already got an active side piece. He's I good. know. Like he fucks someone this episode, but it's not her. Go on. Indeed. Uh, we learn that uh, Maggie has also parked in Carol's spot and with a BMW, which befuddles many and many at the nurses station uh there and Mark and, du- Mark and Doug do their little cute BFF chuckle, which is always worth mentioning. Yeah. Because Carol's like, spot 37, it's my spot. It's been my spot for like three years. <laughs> Didn't she, your car get rebuilt? I was going to say, she yeah. doesn't even have a car to park in it at the moment, but yeah. she's still very territorial about it. So we pop over from there where Jeannie is uh, working on giving a little girl some stitches when Benton walks in. And Benton kind of, you know, without completely calling her out and putting her business out there, just kind of throws out the suggestion that she should have a surgical intern do that uh, or that she should uh, and that well then he pulls pulls Jeannie aside to tell her more privately that she uh, if she's not going to do that then she should tell the mother that she's HIV positive so he's still on his uh, on his tip from last episode where he is not comfortable with Jeannie working in any sort of close capacity with patients right now so um, yeah that's not going to get any better this episode spoilers not in the slightest and we'll have uh, a little bit of audio about that for you a little bit later but for now um we just quite a couple quick hitters here we learn that mark hasn't had a day off since christmas which it's july or potentially august yeah in this timeline what the fuck mark that's so he's worked seven potentially eight months without a day off i mean i think he means like a vacation day he's obviously had like whatever equates to a doctor weekend but like i think he means like he hasn't had a vacation day fair enough but like i hear that like when he says he hasn't had a day off like i have like oh god i haven't had a day to myself yeah and that i don't know i'm getting pedantic with the language here it's okay it's not me for once yeah but uh um susan does a does a thing 
and invites him to Maui with her. Hmm. But very quickly, before he can process this or even really get into it, they are interrupted by Hale announcing a new trauma coming in. So he says, okay, we'll talk about this later. Hmm. And they rush off. <laughs> and the minute Susan asks, she gets so weird. Like she realizes that what she did. But yeah, how do we feel about Susan asking Mark? Do we think that she initially meant it as anything? Or do we think that she was just like... I think on the high level, she was just thinking, my buddy needs a break. I'm going on vacation. He should come with me. But then she paused, realized how it sounded, and was like, hmm, my buddy needs a break. Uh, He should come with me. I would like to... uh, Come on, that was great wordplay, and I'm really sad you didn't laugh. (laughs) Party har har. Um, I would like to borrow a line from you from last week. Yes. I will go down with this shit. <laughs> no, I'm, I think that it's, I think this is a good way for them to address, like, as writers, I think this is a good way for them to address this. Like, do it, do it all in one episode, like, get it out and do it as, like, it's an internal conflict within the both of them, but, like, individually for, in different ways. Like, and, and the way that Susan, in a later scene, talks about it, I do think that she maybe meant something quasi-romantic by it, but maybe didn't realize it at the moment she blurted it out. Like, I think this is... Sort of, like, subconsciously? Yeah, like, I definitely think this is... This is definitely the episode where, from Susan's perspective, they they sort of explore the idea of maybe there being some romantic feelings there, but she might not have been aware of them previously. But, um, Hmm. you know, I, I still... I still maintain that on the, like, on the whole, it was good that they didn't ultimately but i still like i think this is this is a good way to address it and just get it out there but agreed anyway we will touch back on that a little bit later uh, we go for now where carol is helping a an older gentleman who uh, thinks he's got kidney stones so she's asking him do you eat a lot of ice cream or drink a lot of tea because the calcium in the ice cream plus the oxidates in the tea make for a perfect ionic bond and he picks up on that immediately uh, because we find out he is a chemistry teacher. And not only is he a chemistry teacher, he was Carol's chemistry teacher in high school. Mr. Sadowski, who is played by actor George Murdoch, who um, is not as recognizable here because he's a little bit younger. Like, he's still an older gentleman, but, like, he's not, like, old, old. Because what I recognize him from uh, is the movie Orange County, uh, which came out in, I think, 2001 or two. And uh, he plays the older uh, dad, like stepdad character of the main character in that movie. And he's just basically an old guy who sits in a wheelchair and kind of makes noises like he barely talks. <laughs> I think his name is Bob in that movie. Um, but he also appeared in Star Trek V and uh, X-Files and passed away in 2012, unfortunately. Um, but he, he does make mention here that he uh, remembers Carol from her um, her time uh, as his student and he's she's surprised at this and he's like well I remember the good ones and then he kind of assumes that she's a doctor and is somewhat disappointed when she's like no actually no I'm just a nurse and number one that's kind of an outdated sort of sentiment in 2020 like I definitely don't think nurses are seen on this like lower tier than doctors in virtually anyone's eyes anymore but uh particularly just it I, I just thought that was kind of an outdated thing but it also um sort of puts the seed in for the possibility or the flirting with 
of Nurse Hathaway becoming potentially Dr. Hathaway, which is definitely a thing that they will push over the next couple of seasons uh, and then ultimately back away from and give it to a character who shows up later. Uh, but yeah, this is kind of, I think, the, the, the first little first little glimpse of those seeds being planted. That was definitely my thought, too, when it came up. I was like, hmm, this rings a bell. Yep. And then from there, we go on to Mark checking on his incoming patient from the paramedics, and his name is Mr. Johnson. He's 89 years old and seems pretty gorked. He has no pulse. He's bradying down. They can't get a hold of his board and care residency to find out his history or what his um, living will might look like. So this will be Mark's through line for the episode. And who boy, is it a through line? Um, then after that, we go over to uh, Carter and Gant up in surgery. Uh, they're compl- they're they're ha- they're having some frustrating they're having a frustrating day because they're the only ones not in surgery. So let's listen to their little rant to rant together. This is ridiculous. It's a crime. Every surgical intern is in the OR today. Everyone but us. Benton let me spend more time in the OR as a med student. Man, man is a sadist. Look at this. Edson's double bypass? No, no, but Jesus. No, Keaton, that's Abby Keaton. Pediatric surgeon, she used to be at Southside. <laughs> oh, man. What? Ben's gonna try for an elective with her. No way. Mm-hmm. We just signed up for thoracic with the new chief. Then why did I see him reading Essentials of Pediatric Surgery? Benton and kids? See, it's the most difficult specialty. It is impossible to get into. It is exactly what he'd go for. I, I don't buy it. Ben's no Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, boys and girls. Gant, cover med surge today. I heard that you uh, signed up for a thoracic elective with Anspa. Oh, Carter, pre-ops and transfers for you. Any chance that we might get into the OR today? Maybe, possibly. I love Eric LaSalle. <laughs> I that's my I think that might be one of my favorite parts of this whole episode is just that that reveal. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, boys and girls. So good. But yeah, I I do find it interesting how like each season Carter seems to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And that he like again is just not in the OR. And is is it maybe just because they don't want to have to do separate OR scenes compared to the trauma rooms? Is it like I don't know, but don't know. It, it's just, it's so interesting how, again, he's starting from zero. He has to beg Benton to let him into any surgeries again. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting how nonlinear we're finding his arc to be. Like, it's like you said, he starts from scratch just about every season. And not only, like, on screen starts from scratch, like, not being able to get into the OR, but, like, he goes back, he backslides personally. It's not, I will say, it's, it's better this season uh, so far than it was in two like he yeah. he's not as petulant and whiny as he was at the beginning of two here but he's still like he still is he's not the same carter we saw in the season two finale like he has definitely backslid right. over the course of the the break between two and three so it's interesting to to see how that goes and i, I i'm curious from a writing perspective like what like why that is you know like it's almost as though they were afraid to lose carter's position as the audience surrogate and the doe-eyed baby Mm. face like and they didn't have a ready-made sort of replacement for that so they keep like yanking him backwards and like kind of stopping his uh his growth it's just really odd to to see but i I mean I, i think i think you'll see you see as the show goes on that they basically just 
they just assign a new Carter as the show goes on. Like they do it for a little while with, <laughs> with Neela, especially later on. Um, you know, they just, they, Oh, hi Morris. Hey, Morris. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they kind of just keep recreating Carter in different forms. Um, so it's interesting to see the show in its early stages like this, where they haven't really figured out how to do that yet. And so as their, their chosen solution for it is to just keep cycling Carter back through the growth curve. And it's really, really strange. Yeah, especially, like, he does a really boneheaded thing, which we'll get to a little <sighs> later this episode, that just like, frustrated like, the ever-loving fuck out of me. By now, he should know yeah. how the hospital works was, and what he does is not okay. It's some season one Carter shit. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have put that thought together about Neela being replacement Carter, but yeah. yes, I definitely see it, and I'm excited to get to it. Oh, yeah. And Morris. And well, I would Morris, say, and definitely. Morris, definitely, and I would also say uh, Pratt to a certain degree, too. Yeah, but they do it Pratt's more a cocky. lot. <laughs> like, it's like they, it's like they Pratt's break Pratt's like up. a baby Ben. Yeah. It's, you know, not to use a Harry Potter reference, but it's like they break up Carter like Voldemort and he has all these different core cruxes. <laughs> like you get different segments <laughs> of Carter's personality that get downloaded into these new characters later on in the show. Like it really is. That's what it is. Like they just they just recycle Carter stuff into new people, but they do it effectively. So it works. So we go from there to uh, a trauma comes in. Uh, we have uh, Carrie bringing this one in it's a motorcyclist hit by a glass truck which just my nightmare why don't you uh he's seizing uh genie is working on this trauma with he's got this like humongous piece of glass sticking right out of his chest and they need to stick him with ativan because he's jerking around so much and Carrie tells Jeannie to grab hold of the glass and hold it steady, which is right over top of this massive open wound in his chest. And you can just see like the fear come over Jeannie's face and she completely panics and runs out and grabs, uh, I think it's Malik who's passing by. She grabs him and is just like, they need you in there. And he's like, oh, but I'm on my way to do whatever. She's like, I'll do it. Go just, just go in there. Like completely panics and completely you know, begs off of the trauma. And this is kind of the first time we're really seeing the, the like worst case scenario for Jeannie, as far as her having to fear her, her disease or, or being potentially, potentially transmitting her HIV to a patient. Like this is the first time we're really seeing like all of the worst case scenario things come full, full tilt. And uh, she does a really good job with it. G- uh, uh, Gloria Rubin, like Jeannie Boulay panics and runs away, but Gloria Rubin does a fantastic job with it. Then after that, uh, Hale and Lydia are gossiping, you know, like they do while Mark is working on this, the older gentleman. Uh, Mark gives up and calls a time of death when he hears the guys com- competing, all the companies competing health issues. Um, Cause they finally got the medical record from the, from the care home. And right when Lydia stops bagging him, he comes back with a heart rhythm and we finally get a good look at his face. So uh, who was this gentleman, Daniel? Yeah, Mr. Johnson. He's played by Lawrence Tierney, who you may recognize as Joe from Reservoir Dogs, as well as other movies like Born to Kill and Armageddon. I changed my mind. Shoot this fucking guy, will you? <laughs> so then Doug and Mark are talking about how Susan meant the vacation invite. Did she mean it as friends? What's going on? And um, Mark is starting to think that maybe she meant something more than friendship. Hmm. 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 Um, and then we have Mark is pushing Jerry to get someone to admit Mr. Johnson because he wants Mr. Johnson off his hands. Like, he's like, I can't do anything about this guy. Somebody else has to take him. 
And then Jerry is now listening to the radio, and it turns out that the gentleman really earlier really was kicked by a kangaroo on the loose. Um, and while this is going on, Dante, the gentleman who was kicked, is in the background asking for more soup. Just, like, hanging out, like, can I have some more soup? Like, doesn't even pay attention to the radio. He's just like, hey, guys, what's up? So it's just a nice reminder, like, oh, yeah, there was this patient. He was telling the truth. <laughs> there is a goddamn kangaroo hanging out in Chicago. What's up? Hey, stranger things, stranger things have happened in this city. Last year, we had an alligator that was in Humboldt Park. For a while. I forgot about that. Chance the Snapper, he is uh, large. <laughs> <laughs> How did I forget about the alligator? He is now he is now a large boy and and he's living his life very nicely in the in the Florida Everglades. Oh, good. I think it's in the Everglades, but he's in Florida because they have, they have a lot of alligator farms down there. Um, but anyway, uh, getting back to the episode, Susan and Carol, Susan and Carol are now talking about um, her inviting Mark to Maui, and Carol asks if they've ever slept together and. Come on, Susan. Do you have to be horrified that you essentially invite a mark into your bed? Do you have to be horrified? Is he really that? Is he really that? Is it really? I don't that think bad? she's horrified at the prospect of it. I think she's horrified at the implications. Like, I, I again, I think this is about like her internal battle with like whether or not she's at, like what she meant. She, I don't think she knows what she meant by it. You know, I think this is her kind of confronting that where she's like, "Oh God, like, is that what I said? Like, do I like?" I think it's very. I think it's a little more nuanced, but you know, I don't think she. I think if anything, she's very like open to the idea, but is just sort of like confused by it. So we go from there to Benton is waiting for Anspa to get out of a meeting, and his assistant is out there in the hallway in her desk, just smoking like a chimney. Which, uh, yeah. I have to. I have to ask. Was this still a thing in '96? Like, when did they when did they ban smoking pretty much anywhere indoors? I can remember like in the '90s. I can remember going into restaurants and stuff and getting the smoking, no smoking question well into the late '90s. Like, okay, I think I want to say, and this is completely like talking off the top of my head. I want to say that California is as is usually the case. Yep. California was the first one to ban it in indoor like bars restaurants type thing and i want to say that was like 99 2000 yikes yeah so we go <laughs> staying there though um carter runs in uh, and asks benton if uh, he's available and benton is far too preoccupied with trying to talk with anspa and so he's um very dismissive uh of carter he's basically willing to say whatever carter wants to hear just to get him to leave so Carter's saying that he needs to book an OR for a woman with a lipoma, and can he assist? And Benton says, yeah, 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 sure, fine. Go away, though. Like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so he leaves, and uh, Benton catches Anspa as he's trying to leave uh, and so asks him about the pediatric fellowship that is coming that is uh, coming open, and he wants to wants to get it. And so he's, he is currently in a internship, or, or fellowship, rather, uh, run by Anspa, and he will need to get out of that in order to go after the pediatric fellowship. So Anspa gives him a deadline of six o'clock that evening uh, to get him his decision one way or the other. And if he does not hear from him by six o'clock, then he gets neither. So Benton's in a little bit of a pickle, but we will re-examine that a little bit later on. We go from there where Doug is examining a teenager with pain when she urinates. Uh, and I don't know if we've mentioned at this point, but uh, Doyle is shadowing Doug every step of the way here. And uh, so her, he asks her for her. And actually, the, I will say, 
you know, we already mentioned that the Doug doesn't really hit on her, which is great. Good for Doug. But not only does he not hit on her, but he really actually kind of does what he should do in this situation. Like as far as when you're, when you are the shadowy, like when you're the person being shadowed and you're supposed to be teaching them something like he doesn't, he doesn't do what he did with Carter towards the end of, of two where he's like, yeah, just show up. Don't talk to me. Get me out of here on time and we'll be fine. He actually like actively engages with her and is like, what do you think? Well, here's what, you know, like he actually tries to involve her in the process. And I just think it's a really good moment for him. And it, it's, it shows a little bit of growth on his part, which is good. Um, but Doyle thinks that the girl is pregnant. Uh, the patient here, Jane, she's played by actress Sarah Rue, who you may recognize from uh, the movie Pearl Harbor, as well as the television series Less Than Perfect, um, which is a show that I'm not familiar with, but she was literally the star of the show. Uh, so somebody might be a fan of it out there. I believe uh, it went for like 87 or 88 episodes. I'm not even sure what network it aired on, but I thought the fact that she was a star of a, a network sitcom Felt, felt worthy of mention. Never even heard of it. It sounds familiar. Yeah, looking at the the pictures it's, of it, like I can, it's one of those things. Like it could have been TBS or one of those type of channels. Like it was like, yeah, this looks familiar, but I never saw a frame of it. Uh, but moving on from there, uh, Carter, my boy, my friend, young man, <laughs> sir, what the fuck are you doing? Ugh. He lies to the OR schedule, scheduler about the severity of his patient in order to get booked into the OR today. Whoops. Whoopsies. Says he has a, he says he has a Theo something. Yeah. yeah it's, it's Theosartoma yeah, it's, it's or something a cancer, like that. Yeah. Cancer surgery. It's not a lipoma. Yeah, but like, yeah, but like an urgent one and an un, a very uncommon one. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that works out for him a little bit later. Yikes. Um, and then we have Carrie steps out, um, or she catches up to Jeannie in the hallway, and she asks, you know, why'd you bail from that trauma? You can't do that. Is everything okay? And Jeannie says, yeah, I just, I was feeling nauseous and I had to step out. Carrie's like, well, if you're feeling so sick that it affects your work, you shouldn't be at work. Jeannie's just like, yep, I know, won't happen again, puts on a brave face. And Carrie, actually being very observant, asks you know how's al doing how's al holding up you know how long were you two married how long have you been separated like just kind of putting the pieces together that maybe Jeannie wasn't completely honest and you know just saying yeah that's got to be really hard and then um we have benton going and breaking into doctor trying to break into dr keaton's surgery so he can ask about the fellowship but Luckily, someone is kind of at the door and stops him and is like, you definitely won't get it if you go in there. And he's like, okay, well, here's a message. Leave it in her box. I'm Dr. Benton. Oh my God, she needs to call me. Oh my God, this is really important. Please, please make sure she gets this. So like, just Benton, chill. Okay, so this next scene, we come to my biggest problem with the episode is Mr. Johnson's son. Mr. Johnson's son is here to check on him and the guy is acting really odd and doesn't seem like he's paying t- attention to Mark at all. And so my question for the class is, what do we think this guy's deal is? Do we think he's cognitively impaired or or what? Yeah. Like, because he just does not seem to register anything Mark is saying at all regarding the severity of his dad's condition. Yeah, that's what I ended up 
thinking was like it i think it has to be some sort of cognitive impairment yeah i think his dad says as much later in the episode when he wakes up finally is that he's as to put it quote him uh his terms he's a little slow like so i i took that to mean some sort of like some sort of cognitive impairment albeit high functioning because he can he can hold down a job clearly and he can drive yeah. and he can fu- he can function you know but he just is not uh not always on top of things you know not always able to grasp kind of these especially a situation like this which i'm sure is very complicated and also potentially very traumatic emotionally too i mean a death of a parent is tough on anybody regardless of cognitive impairment so like I, I could see this almost being like some kind of like emotional reaction where it's like, I can't deal with this. So I'm just going to shut down. Okay. I mean, I, I something about like the whole way that they present it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, it like, it's almost, it's, it's on the verge of almost being a punch. I was line. just going to say, yeah. It, yeah, the way it's presented is that he is not someone to be sympathized he, with. He is someone to be annoyed by. Because and that's yeah. that's definitely the way Mark Mark also plays. very Mark, true Mark treats him like a nuisance, and you know it's it's again it's one of those things that we're going to run into time and time again because this is a twenty we're twenty four years of hindsight removed from this episode like this I don't think you would see something like this now I, at least I would hope not in in this type of thing a show like this but back then. I think this is probably one of the tamer examples of this that you would find. Like, mm-hmm. I think other shows probably did far worse. Who is he played by, though? He's played by uh, kind of an oh, hey, it's that guy. Certainly was for me. Uh, John Deal, who uh, you may recognize from Jurassic Park 3, uh, Stargate, A Time to Kill, and one of my favorite 80s movies that I am deathly afraid to revisit because I'm sure it has not aged well, Stripes with Bill Murray. We... We just watched Jurassic Park 3 like a week or two ago. Who the hell is he in Jurassic Park 3? Uh, I I want like I knew you were going to ask about that cuz I know Jurassic Park 3 is one of your problematic faves. Um he's what well, Lauren looks befuddled <laughs> right now. Well, haven't you gone to bat? It is not a fave. Haven't you gone to bat for Jurassic Park 3 in the past? I feel like you have. We both have, yeah. but yeah. it's it's a perfectly fun romp. Yeah. yeah. I want to say because it has been years since I have watched that movie. I want to say he is, when the plane crashes with William H. Macy at the beginning, he is one of the guys on the plane with them who I think survives the crash, but immediately yes. gets eaten by the yeah. the big dinosaur. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing his, seeing an older version of his face. Yeah, he looks very helps, different Helps that with movie. that, yeah. He does look very different yeah. in that compared to this. Uh, so yeah, so we go from there. We will come back to Mr. Johnson and his son definitely throughout this episode, but we go from there now to Benton and Carter, uh, working on the lipoma when Anspaugh bursts in and says, Benton, you should have told me you were doing a pheno. And he has like a, an entourage of people behind him coming in to observe this surgery. Uh. And Benton's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's a a lipoma. Like it's nothing. And he's like well that's not what the board says and you could see like i love how all you can see because of the mask all you can see are carter's eyes and you can see the fear and the oh fuck oh shit what have i done you could just his entire face is visible with just his eyes and it's mm, no wiley man like give that guy did not did not get enough credit for how good he was at this like physical comedy stuff 
Also, I'm sorry. I just had a thought that I have to point out with um, Doom Year 2020. And haven't people watched enough medical dramas with surgeons wearing masks over the years that they should know that your mask goes over your nose? Apparently not enough. But yeah, so but you're right. The the absolute just poison coming out of Benton's eyes there and Noah Wiley just being like, oh shit. <laughs> oh no, I fucked up. And then we have Doug telling his young patient that she unfortunately has gonorrhea and she, and he's and um he's like well you're gonna have to tell any partners you've had and she goes i've only had sex once and i can't tell him he won't talk to me it's like i wasn't even there he wouldn't even drive me home i feel disgusting and doug actually like considering how problematic doug can be with his views on women and his history with women he handles it pretty okay like Personally, as a raging feminist, I was a little frustrated about his, you should wait and you should wait a long time um, for someone very special, if you want it to be special type deal. Do as I say, not as I do. Right. Well, there was that and there was also like the whole, you know, like, oh, until your voting age. Like that part was kind of cute. But yeah, so like considering it's Doug, he handled it as decently as we could expect Doug to. I think... That can be a very confusing time in <laughs> yes. young, in young people's lives. So emotions run weirdly and can run higher than normal. And, you know, he's saying, take your time with it. If this made you feel this way, maybe take your time with the next time. Make sure the person's special to you. I think it was a very lovely piece of advice. Okay. But do note the level of discomfort that he has with, uh, or, the, or the lack of, uh, I should say the lack of discomfort that he has with this conversation contrasted with the like visible discomfort he had with that patient last season, I think, who was like, I think I might be gay. So like, very true. <laughs> he's clearly not, you know, all situations are not created equal in Doug's mind. Yeah. I was going to say, let it never be said on this podcast that, that Doug Ross is perfect. I'm just happy. We don't have to shit on him all the time anymore. It's true, yeah. yeah. The, the few times where he shines a bright light, we have to, we have to give him his due. Then after that, Mark is just sort of just sort of done with this whole situation because Mr. Johnson's son wants them to keep going, wants them to keep Mr. Johnson alive, you know, despite it being a very bad idea to do so. And uh, Mark's frustrations come out in this uh, audio clip that we have for you. So, Mr. Johnson's in VTech. Paddles. Why not? Charge. You pick. 200? 200 it is. Clear. Clear. Next contestant, do I hear 300? 300, sure. 300 from the stunning woman in the floral scrubs. Claire? Claire. I'll see your 300 and raise your 360. Mark. What a joke. 360. Claire? Claire. And he's back. What a trooper. Congratulations, Mr. Johnson. You are the lucky winner of a brand new ventilator at a cost of $5,000 a day. And as a bonus, your very own chest x-ray. Perfect for decorating the small, sterile hospital room where you're going to spend the rest of your brief, unconscious life. Worth also noting in the background of this, like in the window, uh, is Mr. Johnson's son. Like the window just outside the room, that's him knocking on the window at the end of the... Johnson Jr. And giving like a thumbs up, like, yeah! Yeah, and like, I understand Mark's frustration because he knows this guy's quality of life is going to be shit. But it's it's just it's hard to watch him be that disenfranchised with something. I mean, it's hard to blame him. 
I'm, I'm not saying he's not in the right. I'm just saying it's hard as an audience member to watch because we view Mark as kind of the super doctor. Yeah. A lot of the times. He's the main character. Right. He should be above So to have him that. have this reaction. Yeah. We hold him to a higher standard than Doug. But hey, he did pay a nice compliment to Halle in there. That, that was sweet. That was very funny. I do love the nurse interaction. And hey, as of the day we're recording this, it is Yvette Freeman's birthday. So happy birthday 24 years ago. But also hey. happy birthday today. Happy too. birthday, Yvette. I did. I did. Lo- I do love that scene, though. Yes. Just... Because it's a side of Mark we don't see very often. Right. And I just, I do love how, how he treats the nurses. Yeah. Because they're, they're, like, right in there with him. Like, and, like, this is a fucking joke. Like, why are we doing this? Right. So, he's, he's just saying, he's just saying what they're feeling. So then we go from there to Benton again, waiting for Dr. Keaton. She's still in surgery. It's currently 4 p.m., so he's got two hours left before his deadline. Don't get to stick on this very long, but this is just kind of a recurring theme throughout the episode is Benton's search for Dr. Keaton and trying to get FaceTime with with her. And we go quickly from there to Carter, who is uh, vomiting into, is it a trash can or toilet? I don't know. doesn't matter. Toilet. Yeah. He's vomiting. Gant's over his shoulder. He's like, you always vomit when you mess up. And Carter's response is just gold. Only when the chief of staff writes me up. Carter, Oof. deep in the shit. He's pissed off everyone. Yeah. Uh, and then more Mark and Susan awkwardness. Yay. Yay. Okay. So another little bit of background here. Doug is in the background, just like having like the best facial expressions ever. Like, oh, oh, oh. Which I did not notice until Lizzie pointed it out and we then just, rewound and laughed like, our asses like, off. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to be eavesdropping. Oh, wait, I'm eavesdropping. Oh, wait, no, I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> and how quietly can I Clooney giggle? Exactly. Um, Probably trying to keep his his self like his not trying to lose a shit during filming of the scene right um but yeah but mark asks how expensive are the rooms or the room smooth yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah mark where they go where to go there buddy and then something comes up that interrupts susan from really talking to him about it so is it kangaroo watch we find out the kangaroo is on the corner of kenzie and maplewood kedzie or kenzie why did I write Kenzie? Isn't Kedzie it's, the screen? I think it's Kedzie. Maybe it just sounded like Kenzie. I don't know. Fuck. Um, <laughs> anyway. It could be either either or. Anyway, Kangaroo Watch continues. The kangaroo has been spotted, and it is on Channel 5 TV currently that the nurse's station is now watching. Can I just randomly, can I just randomly interject with... One of my favorite things about the show is that they use like that they always use Channel Five, obviously because it's the NBC show, and Channel Five is the local NBC affiliate here in Chicago. And I love that they actually use the newscasters from that time period, Allison Rosati, and I forget the the black gentleman who is who they also use in this. But oh, they did for this one too. Yeah, but, but like they use they use the broadcasters pretty I think, regularly i just think it's a nice little bit of immersion and a nice little touch yeah. on the as someone who grew up in the area yeah exactly i'm like oh that man read that that man read me my uh <laughs> my snow day notifications when i was a that kid. is so cute oh my god ah uh, but uh on a much heavier note oof, uh genie has paged benton downstairs and uh not for a patient but for them to have a little chat genie you page me yeah. Where's the patient? There is no patient. We need to talk. About what? About my working here. I need to know if you're planning to tell anyone that I'm positive. 
No, I'm not. Look, Jeannie, I don't agree with what you're doing. But how you handle your patients, that's, that's your responsibility. Thank you. But I do want you to stay away from my patients. And I don't want to be in a trauma room with you. Damn. Ooh. Ah. So. Jeez. Not pulling any punches on that one. Yeah. Fuck. Benton cheese. The two of them do such a good job this season. Yeah. As much as I would have loved to see them like be like an actual like couple, they still have such great on screen. Yeah. Like acting chemistry. The whole the whole thing imploding and turning into what it has is amazing. Yeah, yeah they were they act so well together. They, they work better, I think, this way. Like I find them I find them more interesting. As much fun as Bulenton was for us, just because of that stupid name. Bulent. Uh Bullet. As much fun as that was, I do find them infinitely more interesting in this like adversarial type of context. Like I'd never found them that interesting Dan- as a couple. But Daniel, I need to tell you, Bulenton is going to be the best thing I ever come up with on this whole podcast run, so I'm sad it's over. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's over. Pour one out for Bulenton. But yeah, good on Jeannie for standing her ground again, and good on, I mean, like, not good on Benton, but like, at least he's setting a clear, like, hey, I'm an asshole, this is my boundary. He's not going to go behind her back. He's it's, not gonna... It's still a very problematic boundary because it's, it's never going to work. I know, but he's at least not going to rat her out. Um, so then we have... Miss Maggie Doyle praises how Doug was with their patient and was just like, yeah, you did a really good job like connecting with her and that was really sweet the way you handled it. And then Carol, unfortunately, needs help with a patient and everyone else is busy, so she's really uncomfortable having to ask Maggie for her for her help. Like She's just like, ugh, are you free? Because they got off on the wrong foot earlier, yeah. so just, she's uncomfortable. And uh, we go up to on. Uh, did we ever settle this debate, Anspa versus Anspa? I think what we landed on was that it's either or. It's your your preference. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm okay. always going to say Anspa. Okay. They say it Anspa a yeah. lot they, of the time. And they, okay. and they themselves so. can't decide. They change it scene to scene, episode to episode. So. All right. So, tomato, tomato, Anspa, Anspa. Uh, either way, the 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 dude is uh, drilling Carter during rounds. Um, and... We, we neglected to mention before that when Carter was t- uh, talking with Gant, um, Gant gave him a shot of Compazine. This this shit is so, so over the top. And which Carter is having a reaction to the Compazine. Because of course. Yeah, because of that's just his luck today, apparently. Um, kind of a mess of his own making, but compounded by the fact that he, <laughs> that he did not know, uh, they probably did not know that he would have a reaction to this stuff. Um, but he's having neck spasms and lip smacking, and it's just like his head's just like stuck to his uh, to his right shoulder, and basically, and it's. I know we I know we've praised the physical comedy acting of Noah Wiley so much on the show, but goddamn, is it good? Yeah, he is, and I think the the key to it is that he never goes half in on anything. Like if he's gonna do a bit, he's gonna commit to the bit. And like this is this is him committing to the bit like full scale like there's no he's not half assing this at all and oh god it's so over the top it's so ridiculous but it's good I love it so we go from there back down to Mr. Sadowski uh, we find out that um, we found out that 
Maggie Doyle, our new doc or intern, whatever we decided she was, she uh, also had Mr. Sadowski in high school and that she was flunked by him. So she wanted to just give him saline for his kidney stones. And this leads to a, a awkward little interaction between her and Carol, where we find out that her and Carol went to the same school, but that Carol, I guess, was a few years ahead of her. So Carol, Carol's like, you can tell Carol is desperate to try to make amends for her initial introduction to Maggie, where she was like, who, who's the asshole who parked in my parking spot thing? Like she's, she's trying to find some common ground with her and connect with her. And Maggie's just not having it. And, you know, so it's like, she, she's a few years ahead of her in school. So she's like, yeah, you probably, you probably knew my sister who I don't even know if ever gets brought up ever again, but like, I don't think yeah, so. So she's like, you probably knew my sister. Um, and then like immediately shuts down that attempt to connect. So it's just like, there's just this like icy tension between the two of them, the whole episode. So we'll see where that goes. And then we also find out that the uh, kangaroo is still free and that one of the animal control guys was shot on during the, the hunt. So they're going to be bringing him in. And I think it's Jerry. And cause uh, I don't know if we've mentioned at this point, Jerry has gotten very invested in this. Like Jerry is hanging on every update for the kangaroo search and i think lydia is there with him too and it's like he's like is the kangaroo okay like that's his main concern is is the kangaroo gonna be okay they're like yeah i think one of the animal control guy uh animal control guys is the one that got shot and you can almost see jerry do like a little fist pump like he's like yeah he's still out there like he's so <laughs> it's just it's precious for sure um and then we find out Mark has found a living will for Mr. Johnson, and it turns out that he had a DNR on there, and the su- and like it's signed by the son. Mark shows it to him, and the son doesn't really acknowledge it or put two and two together or seem to remember signing the documents, and just kind of leaves to go back to work. Like he doesn't get what Mark is telling him when he's like, "No, we found a DNR. Like your dad might not survive." We take him off the ventilator, but he doesn't want to be on the ventilator. You signed this. And then um, Doug's patient, Jane, wants to say goodbye to Doug before leaving and thank him for his help. And um, Maggie and Jane find Doug. Um, He exits a trauma room and is like, all right, yep, you know, bye. And then a few minutes, like a few, like 20 seconds later, um, his lady friend comes out. And it really ruins the sincerity of the moment when she walks out buttoning up her blouse. God damn it, Doug. Like, it takes back any goodwill Doug could have had towards this young girl. He was so close. He was so (laughs) close to having a great episode. Yep. So close. And she's just, you can tell immediately she is horrified. And for the sake of... For the sake of me being pedantic about it, it or feeling pedantic right now about it, it wasn't a trauma room. It was an exam room. My bad. <laughs> you can do the notes next time. Uh, we get another trauma coming in. Uh, it's a person. It's a is it a guy? I don't forget. I don't know. Either way, a person comes in. They took a thirty foot fall. Ouch. Uh, and you know we had this little. They had this little conversation earlier, Benton and Jeannie, about not being in the same traumas, but they kind of get pressed into it because Jeannie is already working on the trauma when Benton, com- when Benton comes in because he's he's the surgical consult guy, obviously, which, you know, for someone who, who fell 30 feet, they're going to need some form of operation. Um, and 
Benton keeps wanting to kind of shove Jeannie aside, but Carrie advocates for Jeannie to keep participating, but but uh, Benton gives her the cold shoulder, and once they get the guy stable and off to the OR, it's, it's just sort of a tension in the room. Yep. Hang, hanging over the entire thing. For sure. And then <laughs> um, we go over to the admit desk, and Jerry is on the phone asking about different kinds of... Um, leafy greens and we find out from lydia that he's on the phone with the australian embassy <laughs> because he is apparently trying to find out what kangaroos like what are you up to jerry favorite. what are you it's up favorite, to favorite favorite thing it's so cute um and then we have mark on the phone um with the with what we presume to be the legal department to get the ventilator taken off for mr johnson because mr johnson is now awake and mark has to explain to them like Yes, I put the ventilator on, but we didn't have the living will. Now we have the living will. Am I clear to take it off of him? And then um, once he finds out Mr. Johnson is awake, um, he goes to speak to him. And Mark tells him the risks of respiratory failure. And Mr. Johnson consents to have the ventilator removed. And we learn that Jack is his first name. So we go from there uh, to check in with Gant who very ominously says that he doesn't know if he can take the abuse for a whole year, which is one of those things that it's only ominous in hindsight. The way he says it isn't particularly ominous, but it's just the fact that we know where his storyline goes. It's like, boy, like I did not realize how hard they foreshadow everything that happens to, to poor Gant. Like I did not realize how much like, like because it's a moment that does feel like it comes somewhat out of nowhere but like they really do do a good job of like setting you up that like he's on a he's on a pretty consistent downward spiral almost his whole time on the show but uh we also see that uh betty is back she's suffering from smoke inhalation we discovered that there was a fire and that the whole building is gone so like lauren said earlier or was I can't remember which one of you said it. Somebody said, I said it. Bye bye, or bye bye, Carter's apartment. Bye bye, Carter's apartment. The whole building is gone. I was going to say, hopefully not bye bye, Lauren's apartment or Liz's no. apartment, because like, we're, we're, we're recording here right now. <laughs> so, yeah, Carter's apartment is no more. And this is, this is the end of uh, Betty, too. Her little two episode arc is uh, now complete. So, wave bye bye to Mrs. Peacock. Uh, good thing Carter's loaded. It's true. Yeah. I'm sure he won't be homeless for long. Or at all, <laughs> even. Also true. So we go from there uh, back to Benton's search for Dr. Keaton. She is gone, and the nurse's, her nurse's assistant thinks that she is gone for the day. So Benton appears to be in a bit of a tight spot here as we get ever closer to that 6 p.m. deadline. And uh, next one, I know we typically don't do clips with, like, the one-off side patients and stuff like that, but, you know, Lawrence Tierney is a great actor. So obviously, if you've seen Reservoir Dogs, you know this. Um, that's where I most know him from, and he gets a nice—he gets to have a nice conversation with Mark, and it's the last we see of him this episode. And yeah, I just thought we'd share it with with all of y'all. So there he was, naked as a jaybird. I mean, not a stitch. So I said, "Son, what the hell are you doing?" He turns, looks straight at me says fishing pop fishing he's a sweet boy just slow 
You want me to call him? No. I don't like him driving at night. We're going to transfer you up to intensive care. They'll make sure you're comfortable. Is there anything else I can do? No. I had a good spin. Saw two wars, 10 Chevys, Boston, San Francisco, Paris, France. Married a woman who put up with me and died as beautiful as the day we met. Can't ask for more. God damn. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. There's still a little uh, onion in the air from, from last night. Or from the chili I made today. Yeah. Those peppers were so spicy. God, he's so good. Uh, I'm glad we at least get a little bit of dialogue from yeah. him. How, how crazy is that? Like, he ends up being like the highlight of the episode, and he literally gets one scene where he's able to talk. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, I'm, glad they, I'm glad they utilized him in that capacity. He wasn't just like a recognizable face as a, as a gorked out patient. Yep. Which still feels weird to say, but you yeah. know it is a medical term. So, even if it's a slang medical term, but still, it, it is it is a known and used medical term. But either way, uh, yeah, it's the last we'll see of him for this episode. But oh boy, but man, what a send off for him! Yeah. All right, so then we go from there back to Benton's search for Doctor Keaton. He uh, stops by Doctor Anspaugh's office ostensibly to give it up and uh, say that he'll he'll take the spot on Anspaugh's team. Uh, but Anspaugh isn't in his office. He left five minutes ago and there's a woman sitting at his desk who Benton presumes is like his assistant or something. So he's, he just is very like, Oh no, that's fine. I'll, you know, I'll talk to him later or whatever. And then turns out that it is Abby Keaton. Dr. Keaton herself is the woman using Anspaugh's computer and Benton's search is complete. So she gives him a chance to sit down and talk with her about the fellowship and uh, yeah, this is the first appearance of Dr. Abby Keaton, played by actress Glenn Headley, first of nine appearances. Uh, unfortunately, Glenn Headley passed away in 2017, very suddenly. She died of a uh, pulmonary embolism. So very, oh, no. very sudden. I think she was only like maybe in her early 60s at the oldest. Um, Damn. Yeah. And was still pretty, pretty prolific, too. So yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing about her during her time on the show is that she was very pregnant during her time on the show, which necessitated her often being shot sitting down behind desks, like in this scene, uh, or behind gurneys, or often wearing oversized scrubs. Because obviously she is, her character is not pregnant, but the actress very much was. So um, had to get a little creative with how they shot her. So yeah, thoughts on Abby Keaton? Excited to have her around? Uh, another character I don't remember at all, so uh, sure. I just remember her tryst yep. with Carter. That's kind of her main, like, she starts off here with Benton uh, in kind of a professional capacity, and then that bleeds over into a personal relationship with Carter. Uh, so she's, she's in a much different way. She is sort of like this season's Vuselich. Like, she is the, the omnipresent presence in the hospital outside of our normal cast of characters that we'll get to know, um, but who will only stick around for a short time. Um, she's a character, she's a character that I associate very heavily with this time. Like when I think of the early seasons of ER, uh, like, and what to me, like 
like signifies the early seasons of ER, a character like Abby Keaton is one that I go to immediately. Like she's so identifiable with like the first couple of seasons for me that like that's all I think of when I think of her. I also love her, just her voice and her cadence mm-hmm. to her is mm-hmm. very memorable to me. Like just this first impression of her, she just seems really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a pediatric surgeon, obviously you're working with a lot of kids. I'm you just have saying. to you have to you would hopefully have to have a bit of a lighter personality. Considering I don't remember her arc at all, she seems fun. Yeah. No, she's no, she's she's definitely she's definitely one of my favorite short term characters in in the entire series. And I'm I'm glad yep. to have her. Cool. And you said she's like Vuselich, but you know, with a hundred percent less snooty <laughs> <laughs> Pinky's out bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But we go from there uh, to our next audio clip. Uh, we have Carrie. She's just prying a little bit more into Jeannie's business. In a loving way. Mm. Yeah. It's cold out tonight. Yeah, it feels like fall. You are? Waiting for a break in the rain. How long have you and Al been separated? Oh, almost a year. No chance of a reconciliation? No. Mm-hmm. Must be tough to be sick and alone. A good friend of mine tested positive last year. I think I'm one of the two people he's told. He's a lawyer. Didn't want to tell his coworkers. He's afraid he might lose clients. It's gonna be hard to carry that around all day. It is. Glad you decided to keep working. Be a real loss to the patients if you quit. Is there anything you need? No, I'm okay. Okay. It's freezing out here. <laughs> no, good night. I don't know. I love this scene. I I love this. this yeah, no, it's great so much like i think this is the first like we we talked so much when when weaver showed up about like we we just heaped praise on the character as a whole and i think we were all sort of taken a little bit aback by just how unpleasant of a character she was for pretty much the entirety of season two like and also like just not that important of a character either like she's she's barely around for long stretches of time of season two so and when she is she's she sucks. So like, I think this is the first appearance here of the real Carrie Weaver, the Carrie Weaver we were talking about at the end of season one in that wrap up episode where we were like, we're so excited that this character is joining the cast. This is the first appearance of that character. I think because she never comes right out and says like, I know you're positive. Like, and it's, it's like, yes, she's prying into her business, but it's not, it's not in an accusatory way. It is in a compassionate I'm here for you kind of way and I'm going to I'm going to respect your boundaries and respect your privacy in the sense of like I'm not going to come right out and say it but just know that I know and know that I've got your back if shit hits the fan. And it's just it's so incredibly well done and it's just it speaks so highly of Carrie Weaver the character and I love it. 
the door is open and yeah. I'm here for you. So good. But yeah, that the cat's out of the bag now. Yep. At least one person knows, or at least two people, one two. person in her department knows now. Yeah. Two people at her work. Yeah. I love Carrie so much. And I know she can be real problematic, but I love Carrie so much. But yeah, and so it begins, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. <laughs> my my go-to one now is guys, gals, and non-binary pals. I love this podcast. Yeah. Um, um, so Mark decides he's going to Maui at the same time Susan decides he isn't. Um, <laughs> Doug says to Doug says to Mark, like, keep keep Doyle. She's good. Like, she's got his vote of confidence after the day. Like, she's gonna be a good a good addition to the team. Mark finds out that he unfortunately has to sign Mr. Johnson's death certificate because him trying to pawn him off on another department didn't work because as they were um, passing Mr. Johnson upstairs, he coded. So Mark still has to sign the death certificate as the current doctor for the patient. Mark's had a day. A couple of quick hitters as we close out the episode here. We learn that uh, Maggie is still living at home. This is a quick scene of her and uh, Carol in the uh, lounge room she's in her locker and uh we find out that she got kicked out of nursing school and that's how she ended up going to medical school to become a full-fledged doctor and again like i still feel like we're planting little seeds here towards the the sort of abandoned dr hathaway storyline but um but yeah so we're getting a little bit more background into maggie doyle the character which we'll continue to do over the next few episodes and then we cut to what is probably my favorite scene in the whole episode. We see Jerry outside of his house where he ostensibly, I think it's like implied here that he lives with his mother because you can hear his mom calling him from the inside the house as he is out in the yard. Oh, most definitely. He's out in the yard in the rain baiting this kangaroo with the greens that were recommended by the Australian embassy. And he goes back onto his porch to like sit and wait for this kangaroo to show up. And as they pan out and pan down, you can see it's, it's not a close up shot, but you can see it in the shot. He is wearing like animal slippers and it's just, it's giving me life. The slippers that this man is wearing are just mm. bless you, Jerry. I love you so much. <laughs> There's a reason why we made a sticker out of his face. Then we go off, and then after that, uh, we have our last audio of the episode for you. Uh, Anspa is counting the charts to find out who wins the gun dro- gumdrops and who uh, has to wax his car. Lewis, Weaver, Weaver, Ross, Lewis, Green. You work today? Yeah. This it? Uh huh. You mean to tell me you worked a 12-hour shift and you saw only one patient? It was unusually time-consuming. What was the outcome? He died. On the other end of the scale, looks like we have a tie between Dr. Lewis and Dr. Weaver. Last patient out the door. Well, congratulations, doctor. You win the gumdrops. Green. It's the, uh... Black Cadillac Seville, front row, burgundy interior. Don't forget the sidewalls. Is he serious? No. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about that invitation. I'm sorry about that. No, no, I... I hope you didn't misunderstand me. 
I mean, we can still get you a room if you still want to come. Oh. But you can't. That's okay. I wasn't really serious about it myself. Right. So, uh, I'll see you in ten days. Sure. Don't worry about the cat. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great trip. Call me. Yeah, from the pool. Bye. Bye. Oh, God, that was painful. Yeah, this is this is the thing I don't like about the will they won't they stuff is they can have such great natural chemistry and then they do shit like this, and it just it's like nails on a chalkboard. But do we ever find out? Does does he actually whack the car? <laughs> asking asking so. the important yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah, screw every, all of the awkwardness between Mark and Susan. I want to know if Mark has to wax that motherfucker's car. Maybe we'll find out next episode. Who knows? So then we have Carol. She's walking home from the L after work, and she hears some ruckus in the alley next to her, and she looks over, and the kangaroo is rummaging in the trash. And the best part about this is the background music they put <laughs> over it. it. It just, it absolutely made it, and they just kind of make eye contact, and she, like, looks at it and then kind of looks away and then looks back at it like... I don't know what to do about this. And then she just kind of slowly walks away and leaves it alone as it hops away. But it's such a good, just ridiculous, absurd visual. And I love the background music. <laughs> so what did we think about that episode overall? I loved it. I thought it was solid for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think outside of the Mr. Johnson stuff the with his son, right. that made me kind of feel weird. Junior Johnson? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, made me feel a little uncomfortable just like that just like that uh phrasing but they, they saved it though um, you know the had they never yeah. had that scene where he talks like and where he we get the full context of him like mr johnson i definitely would agree that that whole storyline could have been tossed because it was so, somewhat regrettable but i think that it, it's redeemed by that yeah no but other than that i think it's a pretty solid episode all around uh god damn it just let i know it's never gonna i know it never happens but just god damn it uh, yes Mark and Susan just let them fuck for fuck's sake <laughs> holy shit uh, get out of your system I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach back through time using my shipping powers and... but if, if they happened you might never get your Ooh, favorite pairing yeah. I know but like I didn't say it had to I didn't say it had to last but if it didn't last they wouldn't stay friends you, you can be friends with people you slept with once but you're talking about a relationship. Not a lot of people have the emotional wherewithal to stay friends with their exes. I'm just saying let them fuck. I'm not saying let them have babies, although that would be fun, too. I'm just saying let them fuck. Uh, it's it's easily, I mean, again, we're only three episodes into the season, but like it for me, it's easily the best of season three so far. Um, and I think and I think we're on an exponential track. Like, I, I, I still think that like one season one or season three episode one was the weakest one and two was a little better three was a little better than two so we're on the right track we're moving in the right direction we're on so, an upswing and and i don't know for sure exactly what's going to happen in the next episode i have an inkling based on a comment from one of our listeners on a previous post of ours that leads me to if it's what i think it is i'm very excited about episode four so Mm-mm. I'll just I'll leave that out hanging out there as a tease because I'm I don't I don't remember I don't remember exactly what happens in the next episode but if it's what I think it is then I'm pretty excited about it 
I haven't looked ahead. I don't plan on reading the plot synopsis. I want to be along for the ride. All right. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to our full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Cherry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music today is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each week uh, and put it through a little mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me live tweeting my crazy baking experiments at my personal twitter at lobob92345 they are tasty tasty experiments um also you can find me on twitter i am at random gamer that's g-a-m-3-r as well as on the popular courts youtube channel doing a let's play of mass effect andromeda with new episodes of that dropping every friday you can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash the popular court and thanks again everyone very much for listening please join us again next time and have a great week Bye.